0: Good morning. morning. How you guys doing? Awesome. Good. Good. Cool. Good to be with you this morning. My name is John Anderson. I am the pastor of community development here at Door Creek Church, and it is fun to be with you. This is great. Um, So it's been a little while since I've had the opportunity to uh, be with you from up here. And so I thought I'd just take the first few moments of my time just to kind of catch you guys up to what I'm up to, both my personal life as well as professional life. So personal life, Um, My wife and I are expecting our next child any day now. So my wife is ready to give birth seriously any moment. Um, And so if I like run off the stage, we've got a signal set up with the back. It's not you, it's me. So we've got the video from last night. We'll just try to like sync it up the right way and just enjoy the, it was better last night anyways. And then on a professional level, uh, so I love my job here. I've been here almost two years now. And as you may know, I oversee all things that are local, global, national. Uh, that we call community development, sometimes known as outreach or, or missions. And uh, here in our city, in our county, uh, we are focusing on, we're really selling out as a church to try to partner with organizations to try to help close the achievement gap or the opportunity gap. Uh, if that's a phrase that's not familiar to you, that's just shorthand for basically saying how um, Caucasian students in our community and throughout our county achieve at a much higher rate than minority students, especially the African-American community. And we feel like that's a justice issue That's something that we want to be about as a church, to work with others to close that gap. And so, um, while I'm really excited about that, the reason we're doing it is because we feel like this is an opportunity to come alongside others to support every kid, every parent, every family, really every person in our community to have a better chance of flourishing and we feel like this is part of our way of expressing the gospel out in the community. And, and <clears throat> that's an audacious goal, right? Like that's way bigger than Door Creek Church. And that's one of the things that I'm really excited about being a part of, because that kind of goal, that kind of vision demands reliance on God and demands that we serve together in our community. And so... Um, part of the challenge of taking something that's incredibly complex, like the achievement gap with the opportunity gap, which, which if you're in that world, you know this really quickly. Like it's an incredibly complex issue that people have been working with and trying to tackle for a long time now in our community. Um, is, and the challenge of making something really complex like that is making getting involved as simple as possible. And so that's a lot of what me and my team have been up to these last few months is trying to work through a process of trying to help Creek get involved in the simplest possible way. And we're excited about what we've come up with. So here's what we've come up with. We've come up with something called the Pick One Campaign. And here's how it works. You guys ready for this? Here's what we want you to do. We want everybody to pick one. And that's it. Like, that's what we're asking. So we're not very creative in the naming, but what we're really trying to do and what I believe deep down in the bottom of my heart that we have opportunities for every single person in this room, at all our venues, at our North Campus, uh, at all ages, wherever you're at, stage of life, we have opportunities for you. And it might mean th- things like adopting a school and your... Um, I'm sorry, working in a school, adopting a teacher as a small group or a life group, mentoring a kid, uh, faithfully praying, making a donation, the list goes on and on and on. But I really believe that we have opportunities that fit the things that you're good at, your gifts, right? The things that God has wired you with. We have opportunities that fit your passions, the things that just kind of like get your heart excited. And things that fit your schedule. Things that, you know, work with the time that you have, whether you're a student in middle school, high school, college, you know, or you're retired. Anywhere in between. And so here's what we're asking you to do, is we're asking you to consider to pick one thing. And what you do next is just go to our website. So here's a picture of our website. It's uh, on there, and it just has a little bit of a description of the different things that you could be potentially involved in. There's a form you fill out, and when you do that, it's just saying that you are interested in finding out more about that thing. If you're not really like an internet person, there's a few of you out there. We have brochures. These things are made out of paper, which come from trees. So this has the exact same information that's up on our website. You can grab these over at Connecting Point or at the Welcome Desk. Uh, Feel free to grab these, hand them out. I'm just like dropping them off at like public bathrooms all around the city just because, hey, I want people to get involved and everybody's got a story. So you can grab one of these if you don't want to use the website. And for the 200 or actually over 200 of you who have already gotten involved in the Pick 1 campaign, I just want to say thank you thank you. It makes my job awesome to work with so many people who are excited about serving together in our community. And one of the things I'm really excited about now is over the next few weeks and months to start to gather the stories of what God's doing in and through you in our community to his glory. And so that's a lot of what I have been up to these last few months. It has nothing to do with first, first Corinthians, but I got the mic for a little while. So there you go. All right, so now as we are about ready to transition into 1 Corinthians, I want to start off with a question. This is a question that I want you guys to participate, okay? So a lot of you look a little sleepy. I want you to jump in here with me, okay? Here's the question. How many of you ever, as teenagers, did something foolish or stupid? Raise your hand. All right, all right. Well, now, what I love about this is that there's some teenagers in the room, and they're like, is this a trap? Like, I'm right next to my mom and dad, sort of. All right, now let me ask another question. How many of you uh, ever got caught doing that said stupid or foolish thing and had and a parent or another adult talk to you about it? Raise a hand. Okay, okay. Now, how many of you um, were that parent? who's had that conversation with the the teenager. Yes, yes, all right, all right. Now, the last part of this kind of question is, how many of you um, can remember what either side of that conversation felt like? Okay, like last night, like fewer hands. So some of you have forgotten, or your hands are just tired. You're like, I didn't expect four questions. Oh, whew, I'm exhausted, let's go home. Uh, So, (laughs) I, I, when I was in middle school and high school, I did more than my fair share of foolish things. And I'm not going to tell you all the stories, otherwise I probably won't have a job here anymore. But I do want to tell you one example. So um, when I was 16, I, I just got my license and uh, my friend Tim and I, we had this game that we played and here's how the game works. Uh, we would go to the store and we would buy 10 nut rolls. Do you remember those like candy bars that are just, it's like nugget wrapped in, I don't know, like peanuts, I think. They're not very good. Uh, which is why they were really cheap. But we didn't get them because they were a tasty snack. We got them because they were part of our game. And here's how the game worked. We get those 10 nut rolls. We get in our own separate cars. We'd roll down the windows and we'd drive down the stretch of roadway in in the town that I grew up in. And the game was is that we'd each start with five nut rolls in our car. And as we were driving, we would throw the nut rolls in the other car's open window. (laughs) And whoever had the most nut rolls in their car by the end of the stretch of drive, they lost. And we're like, this game is genius. <laughs> like, this is so fun, why has no one patented this? Like, we could be famous. Oh my gosh, and now I look back, I have a son, and I'm like, oh no, <laughs> this is not good. And I remember uh, when my parents found out <laughs> that we were playing this game, and their response was, as you probably imagine, they were like, John, are you, like they did the thing with their head. like. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Like, we thought you were smart. Where did, did you check your brain somewhere? Like, you know, you could have gotten hurt or worse, right? Like, what are you thinking? And, and you get the idea, right? Does this feel familiar to anybody else? Yes, there's some heads nodding, yes. Okay, so the chapter we're gonna look at today in 1 Corinthians feels a lot like that. It feels like a loving parent talking to their teenager or teenagers in this case who have done something incredibly foolish. In fact, they continue to do something incredibly foolish. And we're going to see Paul's response It's this mix of sarcasm as well as gentle coaxing as he, he longs for the best for his kids. And he's like, you guys, stop it. Like you're hurting yourselves. And what he longs for for his kids is that they put Christ back at the center of their community and their lives. Now, if you're just joining us, let's try, I'm going to try to get us all on the same page. So uh, we are now a few weeks into our series going through the letter of 1 Corinthians and this is a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. And this church is a mess on like pretty much every measurable standard. The church has lost its focus. Now pride and broken relationships and broken theology, it's tearing them apart. And Paul's heard about this. So he writes in a letter to encourage them, to correct them and implore them, please you guys, to make the good news of Jesus Christ central to their community and their lives. And throughout this book, we see this thread, we see this theme that the gospel changes everything. So I think the t- subtitle of this series is perfect. The gospel changes everything. And that truth is as applicable to us today as it was to them back then. Now, to really help us get uh, the kind of the context for the passage for today. What I want to do is we're going to watch the first part of this video put out by a group called the Bible Project. And it's just uh, it's a, a summary of the book so far. We're just going to watch the first two minutes. So check out this video from the Bible Project on 1 Corinthians.
1: Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, written to a church community that Paul knew really well. Corinth was a major port city in the ancient world and had lots of temples to Greek and Roman gods. It was a big economic center. And so Paul strategically came here as a missionary. He spent a year and a half there getting to know people, talking to them about Jesus. And a whole bunch of people became followers of Jesus and formed a church community. You can read about all of this in Acts chapter 18. So, after a while, Paul moved on to start churches in other cities, and he started getting reports that things were not going well at all back at the church in Corinth. It was plagued by all kinds of problems, and that's why he wrote this letter. It's broken up into five main parts, along with a final greeting. And these five sections correspond to five main problems that Paul is addressing. And so the letter reads like a collection of short essays on different topics, but there are these core ideas that unite all of the pieces together. So here's what he does in each section. He describes the problem, but then he always responds to that problem with some part of the story of the gospel, which is the good news about Jesus. And he shows how they're actually not living out what they say they believe. And so this letter is all about learning to think about every area of life through the lens of the gospel. So let's dive in and see how he does it. In chapters one through four, the problem is that there are these divisions in the church. There are some other teachers who had come through town since Paul left, a guy named Apollos and then Peter. And people had picked their favorite teacher and then became groupies around that leader and then started to talk bad and disrespect people who favored another leader or teacher. And so Paul, his response to this is kind of sarcastic and sharp. He says, you have to be kidding me, right? The church is not a popularity contest. The church is a community of people who are centered around Jesus. Its leaders and its teachers are simply servants of Jesus. So while you might prefer one leader more than another, it's not worth dividing over and certainly not speaking poorly about each other. The center of the church is Jesus and the good news about who he is and what he's done.
0: Cool, so yeah, this uh, my friend Tim is actually the narrator and co-creator of this project called The Bible Project, and they're doing a bunch of videos going through all the books of the Bible, as well as a bunch of different topics, and they are an excellent resource. So if you haven't checked these out, I highly recommend them. You can just Google The Bible Project, or for the rest of this video, it's gonna be up on our website uh, for the rest of the week. So now that we have uh, kind of the context for where we're going, we're gonna jump into chapter four of 1 Corinthians, and we're gonna see Paul's ongoing response the Corinthians' lack of unity and his encouragement for them to be a Christ centered church. So grab your Bibles, grab your phones, whatever you follow along with, and jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to go through it together. I'm going to pause throughout it, so just kind of keep your page or your finger on the page or keep your phone on. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 starts off this way This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ. And as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed, now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful." Okay, so let me pause there real quick. So Paul's explaining to them the correct way for them to view him and these other teachers that up to this point, they've been divided about, right? You just saw it in the video. We've been talking about it over the last few weeks. They're getting into these little tribes around the different leaders, the different early church leaders, and Paul's saying, you guys, no, 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 you're missing it. Like all of us leaders, we're united in that we are servants of Christ, And our role, our job, is to manage these mysteries of the gospel that God has revealed. And our responsibility, the thing that we're judged by, is how faithful we are to that calling. And so that means that we aren't the ones ultimately in charge. We are one. We, these different leaders that you're dividing around, we're one as servants of Christ. And so therefore, Corinthians, whether you align yourselves with uh, myself, Paul, Apollos, Peter, or anybody else, you too should be united because we are united. And then he continues on in verse three. He says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Okay, so here's, what, here's what's happening. So there's certain members of the church who uh, have been talking badly about Paul and his leadership behind his back, and, and now he's heard about it. And thankfully, this is not something that happens in churches anymore, Right? No, this is like one of those pervasive things. As long as churches existed, this is something that seems to happen as part of just our human nature. And here's how Paul responds to what they're saying. He says he doesn't even consider their judgment worthy of his attention. And he says, he doesn't believe that he's guilty, but, and this is so important, he recognizes that uh, that his conscience is not the ultimate proof of his innocence. Instead, the judge that he cares about is God. And I think this actually has a, a few good words for us today. And here's just a couple of things. First of all, uh, in our desire to be good and, and godly people, it's important to remember that the goal is not to have a clean conscience. Because what we see here is that even our conscience can be corrupted. It can give us a false sense of security. Instead, it's to live faithfully focused on Christ with the knowledge that God is our judge. And that we are saved by grace, not by any of the good stuff that we do. And and when we live that way, it, it leads to these lives that are overflowing with grace and gratitude and generosity towards the people around us. And secondly, we see in these verses a reminder to the Corinthians that they are united under God's judgment. And the same goes for us. That the same God with the same standards will one day judge us all. And when that time comes, he will expose the motives of our hearts. And thankfully, then verse five says this, and each will receive their praise from God. And when I read that, man, I'm just reminded, praise God that we are saved by grace and not by the good stuff that we do. Verse six, he continues. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up and being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anybody else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not so Paul again is saying here, he's going, you guys, listen, oh, there is no reason for you to be arrogant. I mean, what good thing do you have? What knowledge do you possess that is not a gift? All good things are from God, which, makes it, which means it makes no sense to be proud. In fact, it makes all the sense to be humble. That's a good thing. James 4, 6 says this, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And so Paul, like a loving parent, is is going to the Corinthians and he's saying, you guys, listen, I love you. And I don't want, you don't want God opposing you. So humble yourselves. And the same applies for us, right? None of us have any grounds to be proud or to think that we're better than anybody else. Not because of the size of our paycheck, not because of any degrees that we have, not because of the country we live in or the color of our skin, because all good things are from God. And what do we have that we haven't received from Christ? Right? This truth is this great equalizer. And God opposes the proud. And if you're here and you're a Christ follower, you can't, we do not want God opposing us. Now, in these next few verses, Paul's tone, it changes somewhat dramatically. And I don't know about you, but often when I'm reading the Bible, I don't expect sarcasm, right? Like, I'm actually kind of a sarcastic person, if you know me very well. But when I read the Bible, I just don't expect that, right? But in these next few verses, sarcasm is basically jumping off the page. And so just follow along with me. Verse 8, Paul continues this way. Already you have all that you want. Already you have become rich. Oh, you've begun to reign And that without us, oh, how I wish that you really had begun to reign so that we might also reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We've been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels, as well as to human beings. We are fools in Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. And to this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. In Revelation 3, 17, we find this judgment being spoken against a specific church. And the words are up here on the screen. It says, you say, and this is the church saying about themselves, I am rich. I have acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And so Paul is making a similar statement here about the Corinthian church. They have this sense that they're, that they're secure, that they're self-sufficient. But the truth is, they're in danger. And you guys, this is a warning that I think uh, we need to pay especially close attention to. Because we all live in one of the most prosperous cities, in one of the most prosperous countries, in one of its most prosperous times. And it can be so easy for us to fall prey to the sense of false security and self-sufficiency. Now, if we've been around church for very long, we know that you don't say like you don't need God, right? But sometimes our actions speak louder than our words. And faithfulness to the gospel does not guarantee a life of wealth or comfort, nor, and this is so important, does a life of wealth and comfort mean that we are being faithful? Paul shares from his own story how faithfulness can lead to incredible hardship. I mean, just look back at that, some of the things that he's going through. And then he goes on to show how he and the other apostles are living faithful to the gospel in their circumstances. So continue on in verse 12. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world right up until this moment. Now, the, the apostles' response here to this kind of hardship is astonishing when you remember that they were normal people like you and, and me, right? Uh, they respond with this incredible grace and love to those who are trying to harm them. and Not only harm them, but in many cases, kill them. And their service, and this is so important for me to remember in vocational ministry, but I also think it's so important for all of us to remember, their service to Christ has not led to fame or fortune or power or safety or comfort. And yet they have not become bitter. Quite the opposite. If you look at their example, and their example calls us to consider and carefully consider how do we respond when we experience any kind of hardship, because of our faith. And continues on in verse 14. I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you, as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have become your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent you Timothy, my son, whom I love. Who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere, in every church. Okay, so notice here that Paul's tone, it changes again. And now he's speaking as this loving but firm father talking to his kids saying, you guys, I'm not trying to shame you. Like, I love you, but what you're doing right now oh, you're hurting yourselves, please stop. It is time for you to grow up, to mature. And Paul's saying, "You follow my example as I try to follow Christ. And Paul continues and closes out this section uh, and continuing in verse 18. Some of you have become arrogant as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon. If the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline? Or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? Now I love this, this earlier this week I, I was practicing this sermon and the way I do that is I go down into my basement and I, I just kind of run through it out loud. And uh, my four, almost five-year-old son was sitting playing on the floor next to me while I was just kind of quietly Rehearsing some of this stuff, and um, and I was reading through this verse, and I was coming up to this last in verse twenty one. I was going, "What do you prefer? Should I come with a rod of discipline or a come in love and a gentle spirit?" And I said those, you know, that question out loud, and my son piped up, and he's like, "Gentle spirit!" <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "That's awesome! Like, what great clarity you just gave me, four year old son, because that's how obvious the answer is, right?" Paul's saying to these guys, he's going, "Hey." I'm going to be back. And for those of you being arrogant, watch out. For all of you, my question for you is, are you going to grow up? Are you going to become mature so that when I come back, it can be this loving reunion of a family coming back together? Because that's obviously what I want, right? Or are you going to continue down this path of disobedience so that when I come back, I'm going to have to discipline you like disobedient children? And Paul's wondering, like, Come on, Corinthians, what are you going to do? Will they become, will they humble themselves? Will they unite faithfully around Christ and the gospel once again? And how they were going to respond? Well, it's now up to them. So what can we take away uh, from, this Paul, from Paul's letter to this messed up church, right? Other Maybe uh, we could take away, like, at least we're not that messed up. Like, we're not perfect, but we're not the church in Corinth. So yay, let's go celebrate, right? And Paul's asking this question. He's trying to compel this church to unify around Christ. And I think actually that is a great question for us to always be wrestling with. And this this question will be up here on the screen. How can we keep our lives and our church centered on Christ? And this is the sort of question that actually should never become cliche. No, lo- no matter how long you've been around the church world, whether you're brand new and you just walked in today, uh, whether you've been here for since the church began, uh, whether you've grown up in the church, this is something that we should always be wrestling with in our own lives and our lives as a community. This is never something that gets old because we never get this done. We should always be going, how do we keep Christ at the center of our lives and our church? And there's a couple things I just wanna share that I believe uh, help us do that, that come out of this passage. So there's two things. Number one, to help us keep Christ at the center of our lives and our church is that we need to watch out for pride. So the Corinthians, uh, they thought very highly of themselves. They overestimated how mature they were. Uh, If they had that scale of like, you know, one to 10, they're like, we are all 10s. We are killing it, we are awesome. Um, and they had grown incredibly dependent on their own knowledge, prestige, and comforts, right? And this had led to great pride and actually immaturity. And that immaturity was leading to divisions and was tearing their church apart. Now, I love where we live. I've been in the Madison area for a long time now. Uh, I've been in this area longer than I've been ever anywhere else in my life. And I love Madison. I love the Madison area and the surrounding area. Um, And I'm the first to admit that Dane County as a whole is a pretty proud area. Like for example, I used to be a Westsider and Westsiders were like, at least we're not Eastsiders. Like, like, you know, we got these cool things and we get whatever, right? And the Westsiders had their list of all the things that make Westsiders better. And then I just recently moved over to the East side. And now what I love is Eastsiders are like, at least we're not Westsiders. (laughs) And they also have their list of all the things that, you know, is like, at least we're not that. And, and the truth is, I think, like, this is just part of our culture, right? And kind of sometimes it with good reason, right? We're on almost, we're on all kinds of lists of one of the best cities to live in in the entire country. We have some of the best scholars from all over the world who come together to do their work and their research. We have awesome lakes, bike paths, schools, restaurants, jobs, just the quality of life in a place like Madison is great. And part of just the mainstream culture is that we value wealth, we value independence, we value the sense of self-sufficiency. It's just in the air that we breathe. And, and because of that, it's all that much more important that we as followers of Christ are diligent and being on the lookout for pride in our own lives. But pride is one of those sneaky things, isn't it? It's hard to know when you're being humble. Because as soon as you're the kind of person who's like, yep. I'm humble. You're like, you just failed the test. Sorry about that. Now, as usual, C.S. Lewis has a great quote about this. He says this, true humility is not thinking less about yourself. So not going like, oh, I'm actually not that great. Oh, I'm actually not a great person. But instead, thinking of yourself less. Now, here's a couple of signs of humility that I think will point us as a community and as individuals to show us that we're on the right path. And again, this is kind of pulling out from the text. First part of it is this, is that humble communities are grateful communities. They're grateful because they know that all the good that they have is from God. And grateful people are fun to be around, right? Can you think of some grateful people? They tend to have this attitude of joy and generosity, And so is there anybody that comes to mind for you when you think of somebody who's a grateful person? For me, it's my uh, 80-plus-year-old grandparents. Uh, As long as I can remember, as long as I've known them, um, my grandparents seem to always be talking about something that they're thankful for, something good that's happening in their lives. And that's coming from lives that have, they've gone through some really hard things and yet they always seem to have this attitude of gratefulness. In fact, it's my grandpa who taught me that there's no such thing as a bad gift Uh, because it's a gift, right? It's not something you earn. It's not something you deserve. Somebody gave it to you and so we should be grateful and he lives out this value uh, in every way that I know and I know this because we've given him some really bad gifts and he's like, I'm so grateful for this. But no, he's not actually faking it. Like he, He's sincere about it. So let me ask you this question. Let, us, let me ask us this question. Are you a grateful person? Are we a grateful church? The, the second observation that I think closely ties to this first one is that humble communities are generous communities. And I want to be careful here. I don't want your brain to immediately jump to money. Because I think money, it, it builds up this wall and you're like, whoa, he's doing the money thing and I'll come back in about 45 seconds when he talks about something I'd, I'd rather talk about. But generosity is way beyond money, right? Communities that are generous or individuals that are generous are generous in all kinds of ways in their life. They're generous with compliments, right? These are the kinds of people and places where they're just quick to say great things about, you are so good at this or you're so talented at this or thank you for this or you have this ability that I don't have and just recognizing it. And that happens even in the context of like really competitive environments. They're generous with their possessions, right? They're like, hey, listen, I love this. Can I share with you? Come into my home and I would love to just open up my place to you. Here are some of my favorite things and I hope they become some of your favorite things. And they're just generous with the things that they own. And then finally, they are generous with their money because they see money as a tool to do good in the world and they want to use that tool well. And these are the kind of people, kind of communities that they don't hold back from giving out of fear that if they give it away, they won't have anything. Because they know deep down in their bones that everything that they have is from God. And so can you think of somebody that you think of as a generous person? Or maybe can you think of a generous community? And it very well could be the same person you thought of before, right? Because a humble person is often both grateful and generous so let me ask again, are you a generous person? Are we a generous church? To keep Christ at the center of our church, the center of our lives, it is incredibly important that we are working to be humble, that we are on the lookout for pride. Because remember, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And oh, you guys, what a blessing to experience God's grace in our lives and in our midst. Okay, the second observation from this chapter about how we can keep Christ at the center of our lives and our church is this, that we make sure that we are measuring success in the church and our own spiritual lives by the right things. This is so important. So a healthy church is not necessarily the biggest church. It's not necessarily the church that's growing the fastest with the most new people showing up. It's not the church that has the coolest programs going on. It's not the church that necessarily has the smart, good-looking pastor, although we have that. (laughs) I think RD's in the room right now, and I love you, RD. You're great. Healthy church is not necessarily a church that has a great facility, although we're sitting in one of those. Those things are fine, but they're morally neutral. In the same way, a church shouldn't be discouraged if they're small, if they don't have the money to buy their own building or to pay their own staff. Again, those things are morally neutral. In the same way, in our personal lives and our personal maturity should not be measured by attendance at church. I'm glad you're here. Or how often you crack open the Bible and look at it throughout the week and study it. Or how often you go out into the community and serve. Those things are fine. They're good. But doing more of those things doesn't necessarily make us a person who's a more mature follower of Christ. What we see in chapter 4 is that we are called to be faithful. We are to be faithful in living in response to the gospel in every aspect of our lives. I mean, that can be kind of frustrating, right? Because that's not like a checklist. How do you do that? How do you know if you're being faithful? And yet here's what happens as we try to live this way in dependence on God and living this way. Is the result is seen in Galatians 5, and 23. Mark shared this verse from last, last week as well. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love. Love for ourselves. Love for God. Love for those around us. Joy. That attitude that's just contagious, that when you're around someone who's joyful, you're like, I just want to be around them. Like That is such an amazing spirit. Peace, when hard things come, we're grounded in this. Patience, when you're annoyed, you have the ability to still be patient. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. Now, if you're a type A person like myself, you got to be a little cautious here, right? Because the temptation can be to look at the fruit of the Spirit and be like, all right, all right, I'm going to pick one aspect of the Spirit. Let's see. I'm going to pick kindness. And then you make a list of ways that you can be kinder, and then you start to check it off. And you're like, done. Nah, I am now kinder. You're welcome. And when you start to do that, which I think it can be easy to do, you've missed the point. Paul's reminding us here that our job, the thing that we're called to, is to be faithful to making the gospel the center of our lives. And it's the Holy Spirit that produces that fruit. And so, how are we as a church defining success? What does it mean to be successful as a church, Door Creek? What does it mean for you as a follower of Christ to be successful, to be maturing and growing up in your faith? These are great questions that we should be wrestling with in our small groups, in our families, with our close friends, in our own hearts. And the answer should somehow be in light of how much are we growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then I love how Paul ends this chapter, the end of chapter four. He reminds us that the kingdom of God is not a place just about talk, but it's about power. It's not just what's happening here, but there's something where the spirit of God is moving in his might. And as we live faithfully pursuing Christ and humbly centering our lives on him, we experience that power. And the power of God is made visible in the world when the sick are healed when the oppressed are set free, when orphans find a home, when broken lives are put back together because the power of the gospel has the power to change us both on the inside and out. And God has called us to be that kind of church, a a church that's humble and faithful people centered on him where his power is at work among us. So are we gonna be faithful to that calling? Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you that the gospel is a gospel of power, and I just pray that by your grace that your power would be moving in and through us, helping us to be a humble people that are faithful to following you in our individual lives as well as corporately as a church. And as we do that, God, we just pray that by your grace that the fruit of the Spirit would be evident among us, that people who interact with this church, with us as individuals, that they would just see you moving and working. So help us to be humble people who submit and are dependent upon you for all things to your glory. In your name, amen.